Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to Family Business Radio. I'm your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we have two esteemed guests uh, with us on the show today. We have Jane Gentry with Jane Gentry and & Company and Robert Stevens with CFO Navigator. To kind of start us off with the show, Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm esteemed. <laughs> yes, of course. So kind of <laughs> share with our, our audience, our listeners, kind of your origin stories as to what got you into starting your business. Uh, wow. So I'm old. So it depends how far back you want to go. I, my first career was as a professional actor and, um, I eat much better now than I ever did back then. Um, I, I started, uh, my career in sales and sales leadership started my practice in 1999 with a break uh, to uh, run some companies. And back before 99, the work that I did was predominantly with large organizations, Coca-Cola, uh, Phillips Medical, uh, Mercedes-Benz, Home Depot, a lot of our Atlanta favorites. And uh, after I went to run a couple of small businesses, uh, I really f- felt for, I mean, The short story is the businesses that I uh, ran were owned by uh, an equity group that had purchased up several family businesses, and I was uh, less than thrilled with uh, how those families fared at, uh, at those deals. And I realized that many people start a business because they have a giftedness or a passion or something. And uh, a lot of small and mid-sized businesses can be under-resourced. And what I mean by that is not financially under-resourced, but you have a a, a thing that you're great at and you don't have the resources of a Coca-Cola to know where do you find a great CFO like Robert Stevens? Where do you get a wonderful business attorney? Where do you get a good wealth advisor? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, and how do you solve the right problems in your business? And so we adjusted the practice to serve small and mid sized business owners and really help them get their businesses to a place where when they decide to turn it over to the next generation or they decide to sell it, It is in the condition to get them the most value for the effort uh, for all the years that they put into that business. So for our listeners, uh, what they're kind of wondering, when we use the term small and mid-sized businesses, uh, what does that uh, mean for your practice? Yeah, I agree with you. That's a thing that means a lot of different things to different people. For us, our sweet spot is, I would say, five to fifty million. But we do work with companies upwards, and in fact, I have a client right now that's a hundred and fifty million dollar uh, equity backed company that's combining three manufacturing companies into one. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned in terms of getting the business to help them be put in a position 
for either succession towards the next generation or perhaps an outside buyer. Um, kind of share with us what is the common things that you see that a lot of these business owners are facing challenges that they were not aware about until they come to that point and, and how is it that you would go in to help them fix it? Yeah, so it could be any number of things. And I think the thing that uh, we are the most gifted at is helping our customers see what are the buckets that need to be worked on in the business and in what order, helping them prioritize the problems that actually need to be solved. Sometimes it is uh, that the business is not set up financially in the correct way. Uh, we, have, we have a client that uh, oh, inherited a, a business that's wonderful, but the books were completely buggered up. So there was no idea uh, you know, where, what kind of profitability they actually had. And so uh, in that case, we would bring in a CFO partner like Robert. I sound like a commercial for Robert Stevens. Keep going, Jane. You're going to owe me. Keep you're going to owe me a little fine. bit. Yeah, you're going to have to pay that back. Um, at any rate, uh, it could be the books. It could be that your strategy is weak. You haven't kept up with the changes in your market. And so your business doesn't have legs for an investor or a buyer to want to come and purchase it. It could be your sales strategy that there isn't one um, or there isn't a, a, you know, a well-defined strategy or it's the wrong strategy. I see a lot of small businesses have people in the sales, uh, in the sales function, they give them a sales title mm -hmm. and they're not salespeople, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be the sales function. It, it could be the things that they're focusing on in their business. We see, I mean, if you listen to any podcast that I'm on, I'm usually telling people the number one thing that I see business owners knee jerk to are kind of the things that, um, that are not the most difficult things in the business, but they're the things where you can look at something and maybe hold it in your hand or see it on your computer and go, Jane, look at this thing that we did. Isn't it amazing? Things like your website or branding, right? Which are important, but they're not the most important. And so if you are solving for marketing when you don't have a strategy or you don't know what's happening in your market, you haven't defined your customer well, then you are putting that bucket in the wrong order and you're just going to end up redoing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's almost like uh, getting distracted uh, by the flashy and nice things. And, I, and it's coming in from the fitness perspective. It's like, oh, I'm going to get this flashy gym equipment, spending several grand, but then after maybe one or two use, it's just sitting there in a the room and <laughs> it's not being used. Well, I call it shiny object syndrome. Mm. And, uh, you know, anymore, honestly, your website's not the first place people go to find out about you or your company. So, um, so it could be your sales strategy or your, or, or your sales and marketing strategy, which should be uh, done together. So there are a lot of different places where, um, where we see opportunities for our clients to improve the way their company looks to a buyer. So, or just improve the way their company is functioning. Mm -hmm. 
So it's almost like you're coming in doing a diagnostic on the company on the whole aspect, not just on the financial reporting, but rather if they have a marketing strategy or not just a website, because I think a lot of people mistake having some kind of logo or a website with a actual marketing strategy. Yeah. So for example, um, you know, I've seen people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, with companies that say, oh, well, we, we think you should change your name. Uh, and, and you're, you're going to find them a really straightforward person. Uh, I'll say to them, what your name is so far down the list of things that I think are important. I can't even see it. Mm -hmm. Right. A business is five to $50 million. Uh, You don't have the brand equity in the market that a Coca-Cola has. Right. Or a company like that. So it's it's understanding what are the what are the major things and majoring on the majors. Right. Um, So, yeah, you're right. It's about building out a complete strategy. Do you think you want to uh, have your next generation own your business? Do you want to leave it to your children? Uh, One of our partners is a specialist in uh, helping upskill the next generation and having those hard family conversations about what it's going to take and when it's not the right choice to have the next generation run your business. When is it the best choice to get an outside person? So we we try to come in and address that kind of the whole ecosystem of the business and solve the right problems. Some problems are just not worth solving, right? So we go in there and do a diagnostic and decide what are the major things, what is the order they need to be solved in, and then we dig in there and help them solve for it. So can you give us, uh, for our listeners, a, a quick example, if you were to look in, what do you find to be the top three most common overlooked big elephants in the room that needs to be addressed, but they're just not really looking at it? Yeah. Haven't come up with a sound financial strategy. Uh, don't have an obvious or well thought out sales strategy or wrong people in the wrong roles in an organization. I would say those are three big ones. Mm -hmm. Or right people in the wrong role. Mm -hmm. So take us through when someone's coming to you and they're thinking, all right, I would like to say, pass on my business to the next generation. I'm the second generation in. And they kind of feel that pressure to make sure that this next transition is just as smooth as when they received it. Uh, what does mm-hmm. it look like in that initial process, that conversation? Well, yeah, you know that most businesses don't go past that second generation, right? They mm-hmm. don't really survive it without a plan or without some advisors. And uh, you know Bill on our team, Bill Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, it, this is Bill's expertise and his life. So uh, we would pull Bill in early on to a conversation like that with the family um, and lay out a whole plan for what are the skill sets that that next generation that like we call them the next gen, what do they need? 
What do they have? How will we develop a plan to skill them up? Uh, He's fantastic at mediating hard family conversations. The family business is a very different dynamic from, say, the business I explained to you where three manufacturing companies are trying to figure out how to come together. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, It's a completely different dynamic. So we bring in an expert that that's what he that's what he does. I'll bet you've had him on your show already, haven't you? Uh, actually, I think it was about two or three episodes ago. Episodes ago, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, but before we kind of close out here, so as our listeners kind of exploring, okay, we've, we they understand that there's a different dynamic between family business or just kind of a more, I guess, corporate sterile environment. And the example you gave, three manufacturers uh, coming together trying to figure things out. Okay, how do we make this work? Uh, at what point during the business owner's life cycle or their business life cycle should they reach out to someone like yourself to begin the conversation in terms of succession planning? Yeah. Um, succession planning or selling your business. We, uh, for succession planning, I think you should start as early as possible, right? Mm-hmm. We find um, that a lot of, uh, family businesses. I, I happen to be working with a family business right now where the current president was a family member of the former president, but wasn't really given any autonomy in the business, wasn't given uh, much of a leadership role in the business, wasn't allowed in the in the books of the business, and then the owner died. Oh. And so now you've just tossed a very bright, completely capable person who has not been equipped properly to, uh, to run, the, run the business that you build. I'm sure he didn't plan on it going this way, but um, so we're, we're having to kind of help her to understand what, what are the things you need to be focused on. We're helping to build her up as a leader. At the same time, we're looking into a business that was really poorly run, has a lot of potential, but it wasn't run well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have family members in the business, that's the time to start upskilling them is right away having a plan for what does the future look like in your business uh, it is, it's, it's different in the family dynamic, Anthony, but really I see businesses where, I, I mean, if you want to use this manufacturing business as an example, um, you know, it's one business that is growing through M&A and bringing on other businesses where people are critical to the business, but they're not, they have not been trained to do the job that they're sitting in. And so that's a really hard dynamic for any kind of a CEO or a leader to realize I've got this, I've got this organization or I've got these people that I have to have in the business because culturally they're ingrained in the business. Um, from a legacy perspective, they've been in the business so long that they're where all the knowledge lives in the business, but they're not skilled to do the job that they're doing in that business. So 
it, it's, it really, I see that in all kinds of businesses, not just in family businesses, where we end up with people in a role and we have to have them there for one reason or another, right? An owner wants them there because they're a family member yeah. or they have to be there because they're the guy with all the knowledge in their brain, but they're not equipped. So we run into that uh, in, in all kinds of scenarios. So then for our listeners who are just kind of getting the tip of the iceberg here of all the aspects that comes into a sound succession plan and having being able to have someone come in and do a diagnostic of where they are, how can they best uh, find you and reach out to you? Uh, I'm not that hard to find. Jane at janegentry.com. Website is janegentry.com. On LinkedIn, I'm Jane M. Gentry. Uh, but if you Google Jane Gentry, you will, you'll find me. All right, great. Well, thank you, Jane. My pleasure. So our next guest, we have Robert Stevens with CFO Navigator. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great. Well, kind of share with us uh, kind of your origin story. What got you to find uh, CFO Navigator? Well, my origin story kind of has two components. There's the inspiration and then there's the catalyst. The inspiration came with my first CFO job in corporate America was brought in with a growing $25 million company. Uh, CEO was looking to me to establish all of the financial capabilities, the reporting, the budgeting, all of that. And we would have monthly one-to-ones at Starbucks. And I would kind of tell him what we're working on, where, where, where we're going. And after, I don't know, a handful of those meetings, he finally just stopped me and said, Robert, I trust you. I trust that you got all that blocking and tackling. I know you're going to get the numbers right. I'm scared to death. I'm driving this business as fast as I can, and I'm scared to death I'm going to drive us off a cliff. I need you to help me look through the windshield and anticipate what's ahead before I run over it or run us off the cliff. That was a light bulb moment for me. That's when I realized the difference between a controller or an accountant, which looks in the rearview mirror and just tells you what the numbers were, and a CFO is looking through the windshield and anticipating what the numbers will be in order to help navigate the business. So those words all came into my vocabulary after that conversation. The catalyst came a few years later when the Great Recession hit. The the consulting business just kind of shriveled up all at once. Um, Big financial institutions said, we don't need your consultants to come back anymore. Mm -hmm. The business kind of was on a a, a free fall and stabilized it to some point got went through a few more months. And then finally he was at lunch with the CEO and we had that conversation. Robert, thanks for all you've done. Couldn't have made it this far without you, but I can't afford you anymore. Mm. So that was the catalyst to allow me to start to think about, okay, I've got this vision of what a CFO should be for one of these small mid-sized businesses that we were talking about. How can I bring that to more than just one, one employer and, you know, through working with Vistage coaches and, and, and others, um, was able to come up with this model that I have now, which is bring that same corporate America CFO perspective to local main street companies. Mm-hmm. So talking about being able to view through the windshield rather than kind of the rear view mirror. So for our listeners uh, listening in, I mean, we've still got several weeks left of the year. I mean, some people have already checked out, but we do, we do still have several productive right. weeks. Um, what would be your year end advice to our listeners? Well, there's a couple of things that I would I would want to mention. One is with the 
the remaining weeks that we have, take a look at your financials and anticipate what you think you're going to make at the end of the year. How much are you going to have in revenue? And ultimately, what is your profit going to be? We're only a few weeks out. It should be fairly easy to guess. If you haven't already, then have conversations with your tax provider, tax preparer, and ask them, are there any things that you can do before New Year's Eve that could help mitigate your tax liability? Example might be if you need to purchase equipment or buy new vehicles, potentially, and again, I'm not a tax guy, but this is not tax advice, but I encourage you to talk to yours. You may be able to buy some vehicles or buy some equipment that can be fully depreciated before the end of the year. The key there is midnight on New Year's Eve. If you haven't made the purchase before you blow the whistle for 2023, it might be too late. Those purchases would roll over into 2023's tax prepare. So Mm -hmm. that's the first thing is look at to the end of this year. But also the second thing I would say is use this time to look forward into next year, look into 2023 and think about your budget. A lot of people might be intimidated by the word budget, but a budget is simply an expectation. Mm -hmm. What do I expect to sell? How much do I expect it to cost me? And what do I expect to make in profit? At least start with that. So you have a benchmark to measure your performance through 2023. How close are we going to get? Are we on track to, to hit that budget? If not, what can we do now to make some changes in order to better prepare us to make that budget? <clears throat> so it'd be those two looking immediately for year end and then forward into next year. Well, then since we're on topic of looking forward into next year, I'm, I, I mean, just, just continue to talk, whether someone's listening to CNBC or reading links uh, or posts on LinkedIn, uh, there's a yes, maybe no on the whole recession, but that's the elephant in the room, along with kind of the interest rates uh, going upward and then the whole inflation, everything that's possibly going around in the back of the business owner's mindset. Um, what would be your advice to the clients that are kind of going through a lot of uncertainty and how they can actually prepare and, as you say, project into next year. Yeah, exactly. So we've seen the interest rates, we're feeling the inflation, um, and that's all on the heels of a potential recession. I, I read the same things you do, see the same things projecting a, a, a slight recession ne- next year. I would, I, I'm giving clients a couple of pieces of advice or, or around that. One is a couple of years ago when we had the, um, uh, the car, the, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, when we couldn't get inventory from China, when we weren't able to get ships in and we weren't able to get product, a lot of companies were hoarding inventory, buying as much as they, they could. What I'm telling clients now is you need to make sure that you can turn that inventory as quickly as possible and maybe not keep so much on the shelf because inventory is really just cash on a shelf that you can't get until you, you sell it. Mm-hmm. So try to keep your inventory at a, at a uh, low level, is one. Mm-hmm. And, and two is now that we're um, planning or potentially running into a recession, let's think about what we can do about our receivables. Make sure that our accounts receivable are current because as the economy starts to slow, companies are going to first start to slow pay their vendors. Mm-hmm. You want to be the squeaky wheel is what I say is you want to, your customers to know that you are watching, you need them to pay you want to be paid first. You want to be that squeaky wheel that they don't want to hear from. So if they do have to start slowing down their payments, you're at the front of the line to get paid first and you're not at the back of the line waiting potentially months before you get paid. So it almost sounds like at the end of the day, cash flow is king. Cash is king. 
In fact, I, I have a saying um, around cash. If your business is growing, mm. growth eats cash like a goat eats grass. <laughs> I never heard of it, but I'm going to steal able, that. Yeah. You better be able to feed the goat mm. if, if you're growing. So cash is always king. So then for those who are kind of hearing this for the first time and preparing the business, at least on the financial end, what would be kind of your advice now that you brought up, okay, get in front and let your, I guess, your clients or vendors know that, hey, you, you want to be ahead of the line when payment comes. What is one or two techniques that you would share in advice uh, to your clients? Relationships. Mm-hmm. Have a, a personal relationship with whoever's paying the bills on the other side of the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to... Ask if you personally know know an individual. It's not it's not just company to company. It's now I know Sue or mm-hmm. I know Bob. Hey Bob, can you help me out here? This receivable is getting close to ninety days. We need oh. to get this thing paid. You know, can can you get me at the front of the line? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the personal relationships that really push you to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. So relationships. Uh, anything else, or is it just that that is your first go to? That's probably the the most effective go go to. Mm-hmm. The second might just be frequency. You know, call them every week. You know, if they're if they are slow paying, mm-hmm. call them every week and let them know that you're paying attention and that you are you're the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. They want to get rid of you first. Mm-hmm. Then, is there any value uh, to potentially giving, let's say, one or two percent discount in terms of if they pay early, right, right from the get go, or is that just kind of devalue? the service or products uh, that you're providing. I wouldn't recommend coming out of the gate with the discount. If they're slow paying, maybe offer that as a sweetener to mm-hmm. get them to pay earlier. The reality is if someone's not paying you on your terms, they've got other problems going on. Mm-hmm. So one, two, three percent is probably not going to be enough incentive to get them to, you know, to, to write the check. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then looking elsewhere. So we kind of address a little bit on the elephant side of things. Now, under normal circumstances, uh, when someone's coming to you for advice and giving them guidance to run their business, um, what are the top three things you look for right away that you think business owners are also missing out on but can quickly fix? Great, great question. There's there's the cash. It's usually always first cash. If they're growing, they don't have enough of it. Mm-hmm. So helping them secure lines of credit or you know improve their turn time on their receivables or their inventory to bring in more cash quicker. That's typically the, the the first thing. The second thing is I want to look at their profitability. You know, how profitable are they? Do they have unprofitable products or services? Can we f- turn our attention from those to the more profitable one? Kind of the low, the low hanging fruit. Um, and the third would be expenses. Are there any unnecessary expenses? Is there something that we can cut, we can hold back on, uh, postpone perhaps, but all of that is intended to increase cash flow. Then on topic of the goat that needs to be fed a lot of grass as they're expanding, uh, there's kind of two different perspectives as I'm kind of reading through uh, all, all these articles and then kind of quote unquote business gurus where they talk about kind of bat- battling or batching down the hatches and the other is no, this is time to really not just build the cash, but get it ready with capital to immediately deploy once everyone else is pulling back. What is kind of your perspective on this and planning ahead for a business? I'm never a fan of sticking your head in the sand and mm-hmm. trying to you, trying to avoid. Uh, there's an old saying, you can't cut yourself to prosperity. You can't cut expenses to be prosperous. You've got to stay focused on the pipeline. You've got to continue to focus on growing sales, increasing revenue. There are some things that you might be able to do to augment that with 
expense reductions and the like, but you, I don't ever encourage a client to take their foot off the, the gas pedal of pipeline and increasing sales. Mm-hmm. Is there a common mistake that you, you find then for business orders when times are getting a little rough that they make the first cut at some place that should not be cut? They're people, mm-hmm. right? It's their people are their, their greatest asset. A lot of times they'll say, well, what does Sue do? What does Bob do? Do we need that? Let's, you know, let, let's let them go. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe is the, is the, probably the right answer. Mm-hmm. Look for other areas, other things that might be short term. Are there some things you can do short term that might free up cash that not, that won't require you to make such a painful long-term decision as letting someone go mm-hmm. assess, analyze, and don't just knee jerk and, and immediately let people go. Then on the flip side, as a business is looking to grow, sometimes they may jump, uh, as Jane mentioned, kind of the, the shiny item syndrome. Uh, what is one mistake that you find a lot of business what, once they get a, a surge of cash, they go and spend on this large project when they really should be focusing on something else? Well, hopefully they have a good CFO that can help them stay between the guardrails. Uh, that, that's probably the key is having someone to help them stay between the guardrails. That's not to say they couldn't make an investment, but looking through the windshield, if we're going to grow, how much are we going to need three, six, nine months from now? Where's it going to come from? You got to know where it's going to come from because you got to feed that goat. It's either coming from your pocket or someone else's pocket in an investor or a, or a lender's pocket. So help, hopefully someone's keeping them focused on what's ahead for the current business and maybe re, re, rein them in a little bit on the shiny things. Mm. So in terms of kind of the blocking and tackling, you mentioned right away is getting you to the cash flow, getting you to the vendors, and then finally look for any short-term quick, I guess, expense cuts, but not look at the people because they are the asset at the end of the day for the business. Look at the people last and look at them very closely. Are you making a short-term decision that it's going to have long-term ramifications? The right answer might be you have to let people go. That's just the reality of business. But look at that very carefully. Right. Well, then, looking further ahead in the future, let's say we fast forward two, three years out, when we kind of get past the storm. Because I know with your experience, this is definitely not your first rodeo. That's right. <laughs> and kind of guiding the business through this. Uh, what is one or two things that you can help your clients or particular for our listeners to kind of wrap their hand or view through a different perspective to prepare and then being able to understand, okay, this storm will pass. What should I do like right now to prepare myself for growth two years out when the storm does pass? Business is cyclical. It's like a radio wave. There's peaks and there's valleys. There's peaks and there's valleys. There always have been, there always will be. So if we're in a valley, start anticipating, looking for, planning for what happens when we start to hit the top of that mountain peak Again, what is it that we want to be positioned to do? Where are we going to get the capital for that? What is it? Don't just stick your head in the sand because you're in the valley. Start planning for what you're going to do when you get to the top of the, of the mountain. It's different for everyone, but planning is huge. It's uh, Winston Churchill's famous saying, those who fail to plan are planning to fail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When times are tough, plan for when they're great. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, that that that, that is, all, or uh, using your goat analogy, that's the time you start fertilizing the grass to prepare that's, that's feeding of the goat, right? That's a good way to think about it. <laughs> Great. Well, then, how can our uh, audience and listeners best find you and get some 
advice and, and guidance to their financials and growth of their business. Well, they can learn more about us at cfo-navigator.com. My email is robert at cfo-navigator.com. And my cell phone number, you can call me directly 404-642-2688. Be happy to have a conversation. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So you've both, uh, you've, you've hear, heard it from our two esteemed guests uh, in terms of how they can best prepare or things they should look for when beginning that conversation of succession planning. And also don't just look at the rear view mirror when driving because uh, you might inadvertently drive off a cliff, but look through the windshield once in a while. So our bring back question for our two guests is as the year is kind of closing out and going to the next year, this is particularly more for our listeners here. As they're kind of uh, either on the fence and kind of choosing how they want to take the direction uh, of their business, or even the person that's kind of thinking, you know what, I want to open my business, but now that we've kind of discussed this uh, elephant in the room where, oh, I have to deal with this, like succession planning, I have to deal with financials. This is like way over my head. As Jane mentioned, a lot of people go into business because they're passionate, but they're not exactly train in all of these things so how so the two part question is one for the current business owners is how can they best prepare the business in, in terms of moving to the next step forward the next phase and then the second is for those who have yet to start their business and they're on the fence and they right now kind of listening in is, oh wow I, this is a lot more complicated than i thought than just kind of chasing my passion where do i start so those are two questions. Yeah. All right. So Robert and I could go at this all day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, 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 like he's talking and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm like Horshack mm-hmm. over here. I just aged. I just totally <laughs> aged. <laughs> I got it. So we'll bring you right back. Uh, this is giving you both time to kind of think over your, your uh, answer. So this is kind of, of course, for our listeners that are uh, frequent listeners, this is kind of the legalese portion <laughs> of the show. Uh, is sponsored and brought to you uh, truly, Anthony Chen, myself, uh, with Lighthouse Financial Network. Securities and advisory services uh, offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Now, main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me uh, at my email, which is anthonychenchen at lfnllc.com or uh, just my LinkedIn profile, Anthony Chen, and that will be the guy with uh, Lighthouse Financial Network. So kind of bring up both guests coming back in. Uh, Jane and Rob, I know you're going to be serving the tennis ball <laughs> back and oh, forth. So, yeah. so Jane, I know you, you've been chomping at a bit, so we'll start with you. So um, I loved your question about the recession. And um, the cool thing is economists are, are kind of like weathermen or weather people. You know, they get to keep their job even when they're uh, consistently wrong. So mm-hmm. we try to have an optimistic outlook, but prepare everybody. And uh, I so agree with Robert about knee jerking to cutting people, especially when the job market is the way that it is, if you've got really gifted people in your organization. The other place I see people knee jerk that is a huge mistake is sales and marketing. That is the that is the revenue engine of your uh, company. And you need to be 
increasing sales and marketing during a downtime, not cutting it. Um, the other thing, so is to, you know, Robert and I both work with clients to look at their budget. And I, I imagine we're asking the same question, which is when they come up with this revenue number, I'm like, where's that coming from? That's the How hockey stick, know? Jane, the hockey what? stick that just a takes off. <laughs> yeah. We're going to grow by 300,000% this, this year. Well, how are you going to do that? Let's bring them back down to earth and talk about the reality of, let's think about yes. that. How are you going to do that? That doesn't sound realistic to me. So I lo- one of the things I like to do is dig into your client base. Um, and I look at a lot of things with regard to your client. I have a client right now with uh, probably 80% of his clients on the way low end of the, of the bucket. Right. And one of the things that company is complaining about is their ops, uh, their operations are are backed up all the time. Well, it takes almost as much effort to flow through one of these little crummy jobs as it does one of their big custom jobs. Right. Um, It all has to go through the same process. And so I said, what if you took 25 percent of those little jobs and moved them into the next bucket? What would that do to your revenue? How do we get your salespeople to sell those deals, right? I'm always saying to clients, comp for the behavior you want. And I disagree tiny bit with Robert about the 2%. I also don't like to lead ever with a discount because a discount uh, sends the wrong message. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't discount. However, if you have an existing client, uh, this meeting I was in this morning, if you have an existing client, it's a big company, and they're generally those 90-day companies, I say to my clients, jack up the price and offer them a discount to pay you faster. Because a lot of times a procurement person gets rewarded for the amount of money that they save the company. So there are some times when I feel like you're forced to play that game. But in general, I'm with Robert 100%. Um, Looking forward, I'd say there was never a better time to raise prices than right now. Uh, Nobody is asking why your prices are going up. And most of my clients have not raised prices since pre-COVID. So um, that's one thing you could do right now. The other thing is uh, around your clients, look at unprofitable clients. I would rather you cut an unprofitable client than an employee. And it's hard for a business owner to cut a client loose. Um, and, And I've struggled with this in companies I've run. We had a huge brand that did a million dollars with us. And I said, we're firing that client. And they said, Jane, that's a million dollars coming through the company. And I said, yeah. And it's a million 150 going out of the company. They're not profitable. So be willing to say goodbye to business that is not good. Mm-hmm. All business isn't good business. Those are wise words. I was freeing up cash flow. So instead of cutting people, we're cutting bad business. What do you think about that, bro? That makes a lot of sense. Mm. And that's why I was 
saying one of the first things I look at is profitability. Mm-hmm. If you've got an unprofitable product, don't keep it just for the top line. The top line is not what goes in the bank. It's the bottom line that goes in the bank. So you've got to stay focused there. And Jane, uh, Anthony, you ask, uh, what, would, what advice would I give to existing um, businesses? I, I liked what Jane said. I, I'll add that to what I said previously, which is her, her comment around raising prices. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, the COLA, the cost of living adjustment that the federal government applies to Social Security every, every year, is 10.7. Inflation's over 11. I don't think anyone's going to question you if you're raising your prices. So if you haven't done so, many of my clients have, but if you haven't, Think about doing so. The end of the year is a good time to, to do that. And the, uh, the second part of your, your question around those considering to start a business, mm-hmm. I started my business during the height of the recession in 2009. So it was hard. It was hard work, a lot of sweat to, to, to get it figured out. But I always knew, like I said earlier, business is cyclical. Mm-hmm. We're at the bottom. We're going to get back to the top. What can I be doing now to build myself and to build this business to be ready to take off when we reach the top? So don't not get into business because you're a little afraid of the bottom of the cycle that we're in or potentially going into. Use that as a time to prepare for when it starts to take off. Well, you certainly got experience going through this roller coaster. It almost sounds like you're saying since we're almost or going to be at the bottom, this would be the ideal time to start because you'll be going on the (laughs) upward trend two years out. (laughs) I don't know about ideal, but it's only up from here. It's only up from here. And Jane, what do you think about that? I'd add to what Robert said um, for existing clients, not just raise your price. Mm -hmm. Are you charging for the value that you bring? A lot of times when I'm in an organization, I'll say, well, that is a really value-added service. You should be charging a program management fee for that. Or doesn't it cost you a lot to kick off that program? You should be charging a startup fee for that. People are afraid a lot of times to charge for the value that they bring to a client. And as long as it, A, is value, and B, we know how to position it, um, it it really raises the amount of revenue in in an organization. Um, What I would say to a beginning business owner is no wise business owner at any level of company tries to be the captain, uh, the first mate, uh, the engine guy. You know, I I don't know. I shouldn't have started with that analogy because I don't know how to go anywhere further with that. But I should never start it with mechanics. Anyway. It's wise to find yourself um, a, an informal board of directors or board of advisors. Um, when I first started my practice in 99, I brought a group of people together for a day, a full day, the first half of the day. Uh, we talked about my business and I, I told them what I was going to do and um what I thought the value was. And they asked me a lot of hard questions and gave good advice. And then I took them on a golf outing as a thank you. But the only thing they had in common was they were smart people from diverse backgrounds who cared about my success and therefore were willing to ask hard questions 
Um, and so if it's not a group of paid advisors like Robert and I, that's okay when you first start out. Um, you do need to get wise counsel from an at least an accountant, right? But and a lawyer, but um find a group of smart business people who you respect who care about your success and leverage that as you start off. Thank you. Any parting words uh, from Europa as you started your business journey? I think having outside input is huge. Uh, there, there's an old saying, a golfer can't see his backswing, right? So having someone there to see what you can't see from a totally different perspective, that's very valuable. Well, great. Thank you. And uh, Jane, as you were talking about charging for value, uh, uh, our listeners can't see here, but our producer John Ray he 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 lit up like a Christmas tree. Of course, this being <laughs> being the season, and I know it's not typical. But uh, John, I want to bring you in. What, what do you think about in terms of finally charging what what your services and values are? I couldn't agree more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to add it to our yeah, listeners uh, coming in? I think Jane and Robert were quite eloquent on that. So. Okay, great, thank you. I'll give you another quick example because I know you're. Your listener base is very diverse, mm. um, but I have a client who sells aftermarket parts in manufacturing plants, and um, usually those people call when their equipment breaks down, and that's how he gets business. Mm. And I said, how many people do you have out in the field? And he talked about how many people he had in each region. I said, well, would it be valuable to your customers if you were able to do some kind of an audit for them or an equipment inspection that would let them know when these parts are going to fail, much like when I take my car in for my 20,000, 40,000 mile service? Uh, he said, yeah, that would probably be a, a high value to them. And I said, would it be a high value to you? And he goes, yeah, we'd sell stuff. Okay, do you think you could charge for that? Yeah. So as the recession is 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 this ghost that everybody is worried about, this company is being proactive with companies who don't want to make big purchases in the next year or so because they're afraid to go in and audit, get paid to find ways to sell their product. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are a lot of ways that companies can add value and get paid for it. And this is a time for innovation, especially when businesses are looking to save money and you're coming in saying, hey, I could, instead of having another additional large capital investment intensive project, one off, right off the bat is we can keep your equipment going for a little longer. Yeah, it's, it's about innovation isn't always about innovating a new product, right? Uh, could be innovating the way you add value to your customers. Uh, or the way you charge them, or, I mean, but it's one of the biggest things I see is people are afraid to charge uh, because they're afraid to lose a client. Robert? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Until someone says, no, you don't know, they're going to say no. So ask. Mm -hmm. You, you don't get what if you don't ask. So right. for our listeners uh, that are just getting all these gems uh, of advice, how can they, again, best reach out to you? Jane? Jane at janegentry.com or Jane M. Gentry on LinkedIn. Great. And Robert? 
Again, it's uh, Robert at CFO dash navigator.com. Great. Thank you both. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be with you gentlemen. Likewise. And then uh, to kind of close us out here, this is a little bit uh, what we call Anthony's financial take. So as you're all listening in, uh, you understand that it requires a full team uh, using uh, Jane's analogy of you don't just need a captain, you need a first mate, you need a helmsman, you need the engineer. I know a little bit more uh, on the shipping side of things like geek out over there. (laughs) But what does this have to do with creating one's financial plan. Well, whether someone is running a family business or just running their own family household, uh, it's not just a financial advisor one is working with. They would need an estate planner uh, attorney, they would need an accountant, and especially if they're working within a family business or a partnership, uh, they would need business attorneys and every other professional uh, that we've kind of outlined a little bit here to create a well-path and well-navigated path towards whatever they, wherever they want to go. Uh, if trying to run a ship without a helmsman or a navigator, good luck with that. So when working with a financial advisor, make sure that uh, they are very well-versed in working as a team with everyone else because that advisor can't be both an attorney, an accountant, and everything else under the sun. So that's a little bit of my, Anthony's, trans financial take. Thank you for listening in to Family Business Radio.